0: Let's hear together God's Word. And we're going to look actually at a psalm. Um, In all the years since I came here, one of the first things I came to after being inducted was the Saturday morning prayer meeting, which met fortnightly. Mr. White, my greatly esteemed predecessor, was a very active man. I mean, he was far more active than me. He was up with the the light. I think you used. I think Margaret you used to deliver the newspaper at six o'clock or something in the morning, and you saw the light on at the manse, and he was attending to things. I'm afraid if you'd done that over the last 25 years, you wouldn't have seen me up at six. O'clock. Well, at least not naturally up at six o'clock. Sometimes I wake up now and I have to get up for various reasons. But um, no, no. So he 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 started in his time at a fortnightly prayer meeting, which has carried on. It's now on Zoom, and those of us who are on Zoom find it very helpful. And I would still encourage more of us to join there. It's actually a good way to access a prayer meeting because you can just sit and listen. You don't in a room. You be feel under pressure that you've it's your turn to pray kind of thing. But in zoom you can just you know listen in in a sense um, and it continues to this day and all those years at least the time i've been involved with it we've simply used the daily bread the issue bible reading notes look at a psalm every sunday and so i simply read what that psalm is for the coming day and then read the wee bit from the issue notes if it was left to me to try and find a passage for every fortnight for the last 25 years the pin in my bible would be making big holes <laughs> So it's, I think, been a good way to access. And this was the psalm that we read uh, yesterday and we're going to look at today. One that could easily be passed. Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the whole, well, the whole psalmody. A very long psalm, very 100 and what is it? 100 and, ah, 76 verses, plenty of meat there. And then Psalm 121, which we'll look at next Sunday. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? We, we are familiar with that, even if it's just from the old Psalter of the church. And so this could easily be passed over. And yet, as I read it and reflected upon it, I think it is a word for us as we enter into this new year. So let's hear God's word together as we read Psalm 121. And it's entitled A Song of Ascents. I'll say more about that in a few minutes. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? What more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom brush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshek, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was watching, not intently, but I was watching something that came up um, one my things that come up on the phone to suggest what you might like to watch. It was a film actually from the 1980s and the scenario was, because no, at that time the United States and, and Soviet Russia was the Cold War, and the scenario was that a group had taken control of one of the Gulf states, the state of Oman, which were backed, and it was backed by the Russians. And they were threatening, in fact, they were trying to close the Straits of Humus, which is the Straits that go where all the big tankers sail through that go both to, to Europe but also out to Japan and to into the Far East. And they, as I say, they were backed by the Russians. And the Americans, the United States, decided they couldn't have this because, effectively, it was a stranglehold on the the lifeblood of oil of the West, and particularly back in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, that, of course, was, was central. And so they sent in a task force, a multinational task force, to counter this threat and various things happened and the little film ends with the world on the brink of global nuclear war just to cheer you up the first Sunday of the year and because, and we live today in a sense we live today and some of you will recognize the Straits of Hamus it's in the news today and a group not a country but a group um, from Yemen are using missiles to target camps. Tankers sailing through one was sunk just the other week, not sunk, damaged just the other week. A a, a Dutch tanker, and guess what? The Americans have sailed in. Sorry, um, but your your friends have sailed in um, with British naval and other forces as well to defend the straits. And this time round, it's not so much that a state there has been sponsored by Soviet Russia. It's a group, a tribal terrorist group, that are being supported by Iran, who are behind the scenes being supported by, guess who? Russia and China. Nothing changes. All may change, but Jesus never. So true, and we'll reflect on that. But also, all may change, but the world... And the story of the world doesn't change. Um, we were watching a program during the week of Michael Pertillo and one of his walking tours of the Pyrenees. But he was talking about when he was the defense secretary back in the 1990s. And those heady days when, with the collapse of the Soviet Union and its countries in Eastern Europe having their freedom, there was peace. Peace. And i remember preaching in came mount vernon on those words that jesus warned people will cry peace peace but there will be no peace the illusion of peace for a season yes but no lasting peace people come at christmas time and we reflect on the prince of peace and if you listen sadly often to many of church leaders bishops archbishops and others if you listen to them sadly often they will talk about how this era of peace is just about to begin if only we try harder ignoring of course as I say the warning of Jesus that a display of peace absence of war and true shalom peace with God and therefore peace with others is very different and then on the domestic front we all and sadly also are aware that often the christmas festivities can be quite stressful at best it can put strains within family relationships and at worst well people who are involved in the counseling profession will tell us and dare to say even teachers as they go back to school this coming week will tell you that the queue of people with problems that have blown up over christmas and the stresses and strains of being nice and being festive, being too much for people. So, words can be said, actions done, and there certainly can be a lack of peace in many people's lives as they enter into a new year. Just got you suitably cheery. Well, take heart. Because, of course, it's always been like that. That psalm that I read just a few minutes ago, Psalm 120, as I say, a psalm that could easily be jumped over. It's only seven verses compared to 176. It's not well known. I wouldn't know what kind of song or tune. All the Psalter, of course, was made into metrical psalms and could be sung, but I wouldn't have a clue as to how you would sing that. I don't even know what tune it was sung to, whereas most of us of an older generation will remember, I lift my eyes to the hills. And yet, it's the first psalm of the Song of Ascents. What does that mean? Well, there were songs that were sung as pilgrims journeyed up to Jerusalem. So, we're talking about later than King David's era. We're talking about when the temple was built during Solomon's reign. So, we're talking about a later period, perhaps falling on from that. And they were sung by the pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem. Or else, and scholars, of course, debate how they were sung, or perhaps they were sung more than once, as we would sing things more than once, so perhaps they were sung more than once, as people actually journeyed up the various steps and through the various courtyards of the temple complex. And so there were liturgical psalms, in a sense. There were psalms for the journey. And we spoke last Sunday about how the the Christmas story and the things round about that all speak of people searching and seeking and literally the wise men, the, the three kings, going on a journey to discover what God was saying and doing. This idea of moving on, the pilgrim people of God, journeying through the wilderness or returning to Israel after their exile. All of that story of moving on the story of part of the Bible was a story that would be associated with this psalm. As they journeyed up. The fellow, the psalmist, we don't know who it is, not David. We don't know who wrote this psalm. They were perhaps written by a, a, almost like a choir or a music group, perhaps. We, we don't know. But the whoever wrote this psalm, or whatever group wrote this psalm, it does have a personal touch to it. You'll notice that. Psalm 120 begins. I call on the Lord in my distress. And he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. Verse 5 Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among The tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. It is personal. It's a personal testimony of somebody who's living in a far country. Indeed, the places he mentions, Meshech and Kedar, where you couldn't get much further, in a sense, from the temple than these places. One is in the northwest of the territory of Israel, and one's in the southwest. Basically, what he's saying is, I'm at the furthest ends. I couldn't be any further away. Lands end to join a groats, basically, of this land. I come from those areas, the very edges. And on those edges, not only geographically are we far away from Jerusalem, but we're also far away from the things of God. The people out there, beyond the sticks, don't really respect God. And so I'm coming from places where God is forgotten about, are rarely mentioned, where His values are very rarely understood, with the covenant with God, the commitment to follow God, and God's laws given by God so that we might be a distinctive people, the people of Israel. Well, people just go on with their lives and ignore that. I feel so far away from the temple, from the Lord. And perhaps some of us as we journey into this new year and as we take up our work, our profession, our occupation, and we go back into the office or the classroom or or wherever it may be, We may well feel after a period of Christmas where we were family and friends and the warmth of all of that, but yes, we are perhaps, I hope anyway, we spent time reflecting on the wonder of the story of Christmas, hence the reason why this is still late this morning when we think of the beauty and the wonder of the Christmas story. But tomorrow morning in the office, behind the desk, wherever we may be, you feel as if you're in a far land, the land of Kedek and Mesha. In one sense, you couldn't be any further away, not from the church but from the Lord, a strange land. How can I sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, that's how the psalmist feels. And even for those of us that that's not our situation, as we go on into the new year and we face the challenges of life and the circumstances and the uncertainties that we all will face in this coming year, 2024, who knows? Only God alone knows what it will bring as we journey into that. We could feel as if we're going out into an unknown territory. A territory that seems so far away from where we feel safe and secure. Unsettled. So, take heart if that's how you're feeling this morning, if that's how you're thinking about the coming weeks and months, the uncertainties of that. And I speak, as you know, from a, a personal experience now. I believe the Lord brings us through these things so that we can share personally, and not just in theory, six feet above contradiction in a pulpit. As we journey into unknown things, God's Word can testify to that reality. But notice what the psalmist does. He doesn't dwell on the gloom and doom that I started the sermon off with. He doesn't dwell on the uncertainties and how awful of that is. We're told right at the very beginning, I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me, Save me, Lord. He responds by talking to God about the situation. And again, there are different ways people respond with what's going on in the world, what goes on in our society, what goes on in our own domestic environment or in the workplace. We can sometimes just try and retreat into our own bubble and ignore it as much as we can, although... Although sometimes when it's in our working environment or within our domestic affairs, it's really not impossible to do that completely. But we can try and kind of within ourselves go away into a wee bubble. And we do that sometimes to protect ourselves. And there is a place for that. We can go quiet. Elizabeth no doubt would notice. I go quiet, especially if I read some of the things that might or might not happen to me. And you have take time to digest that. Of course we need to do that. But, but do we just stay in that bubble? And hope it all goes away. Or else, well, we just go with the flow. It's easier just to go with the way things are, to accept the way things are said, to to conform to this world, because it causes less stress and strain. We all have ways of coping and dealing with things, some good, some not so good, some so-so. But for the believer, for the psalmist, the very first thing we read of is he calls on the Lord. He seeks him out as he goes on this journey and as he reflects on the environment that he lives in. It's not that he ignores that, he's challenged by that, but he talks about that to God. And very simply, do we do that in our circumstances? Tomorrow morning, this coming week, Into your hands I commit my spirit. My times are in your hands. I leave them there. Do we seek the wisdom of the Lord? Remember the words from the book of James that we are to seek and ask for wisdom, not doubting, but believing that the God that we believe in is the God who not only sent his Son, Jesus Christ, but that Jesus is wisdom incarnate, and the Holy Spirit takes from that wisdom incarnate and makes him known to us, and so we can have divine wisdom. How do we navigate through on that journey? Through office politics, or through what stayed in the staff room, or what goes on within the complex domestic relationships we might have, how do we discern God's way? Well, we ask. And again, last Sunday, we ask, and we will receive. We seek, and we will find. We knock, and the knowledge and the light of God is open to us. And that's what the psalmist does. He seeks the Lord. And as believers, we can do that with, that with a degree of confidence. Remember the words of Jesus said to, to the disciples as they met with him in that upper room as they faced all the uncertainty of the coming days, as the dark clouds of opposition really seemed to overshadow everything, as Jesus himself had told them what was going to happen and the the challenge that that was going to be. But right at the very end of that big discourse, he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We come to one who faced the ultimate enemy, not in the straits of who or not that relative who's a pain to put up with at Christmas, or that friend who's Disloyal and unfaithful. He faced the prince of darkness. He faced not just physical death, but the torment of all of that on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He has entered into that place. That's why Emmanuel, God with us, means so much. If God was with us when the sunny sun was shining and everything was well and everything's life carrying on, well, well, that's fair enough, but that wouldn't really mean very much because, of course, the clouds come, the rain comes on, the chill of the winter appears, God with us in the midst of all of that because he has been there and even more than we have been there. Descended into hell, and on the third day raised from the grave. Now sitteth at the right hand of the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And the psalmist, even though he was looking forward to that ultimate fulfillment of that messianic promise, he could testify that the Lord would save him, would deliver him, would journey with him, yea, even through the valley of the shadow, he would bring him through all of that and would not forsake him. Because, as we said to the children, I was very moved because Jessica's boys were, I will remember, always remember you. That's what the psalmist could speak about. I called on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me, Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. The father of lies delights in causing trouble. He is the the cause of war whether it's in a global context or within domestic circumstances or the tensions of our working environment or within a community. He delights in that. He likes to throw in the grenade and then jump back and see the mess it causes. He rejoices over what's happening in Israel, Gaza, of what's happening in Ukraine, of what's happening in all the other parts of the world we don't hear about very much here in the West, but in Asia and Africa. But he also delights in the domestic turmoil. the tensions that he causes. Only the Lord can save, for he's overcome him. How do we know that? Because the grave is empty. The cross is empty. Our Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. And because of that, we can know that even in those dark places, his light is still shines, and as John tells us, the world can neither understand it nor overcome it. He will deliver us from lying lips, from deceitful tongue, from all the things that would seek to come in and undermine our faith and seed cynicism, skepticism, and so much more that's so evident in our society today. But lastly, that doesn't mean, therefore, we just kind of shut down. Well, look, verse three and four. What will he do to you? What more besides you, deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom b- brush. For too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. The Sabbath was going to have to speak out for God. And that's not easy when we know the kind of response we're going to get. When we can already tell the story as if the script's already been written, at best we're going to get the odd look. We may then get the cold shoulder, but at worst we may get a full frontal assault. The psalmist, I'm not suggesting that tomorrow morning some of us go into our work where there's problems. And we say, what will he do to you and what more besides you deceitful tongue? I'm sure that wouldn't go down very well where you are. He will punish you with a warrior sharp as with burning coals of the broom bush. I'm not suggesting that you literally take the psalmist's words and use them in that environment. But what does it mean for you in whatever situation you face to stand for that which is righteous and just and true? What does it mean for you to speak up for those things? What does it mean for you and for me to remind people however wise we need God's wisdom to do it, that actually there's a day of judgment coming and there's a reckoning. and we'll have to give an account of what we've said and done. That's basically what the psalmist is saying there. You think you're going to get away with that, Mr. Putin or whoever, but you won't. That's what the leader of the Russian Orthodox Church should be saying to the president of Russia. Do you think he does? No, But he should be. They should be standing in the Kremlin and saying, God will hold you to account. How do we do that? How we need wisdom in order to fulfill the commandments of Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to speak for peace when others are for war? When others like to stir it or to push their own agenda? I was out with someone on Friday for lunch and who had been very much involved in the clinical profession as a GP, and his comments were very insightful, speaking about the National Health Service, not about the workers who are caring for people and everything else, but the politics that go on in the administration and at the running of the NHS. What does it mean for someone to stand up and to challenge that and to say, no, you're not getting away with that? But we have that calling to be salt and light, to stand for truth in the midst of the deceit and lies of our age. Because the psalmist says, I am for peace. I think it's important to clarify what he means there. The word used, peace, is the word, the shalom of God which is not primarily the absence of conflict of war. Indeed, one can hardly read the Bible not to see that God actually at times uses conflict and war to fulfill his purposes. And so this is not a verse saying that we should all be pacifists and that we should never take up arms against our enemies or stand up against a bully and call them out or her out. And, you know, I'm not saying physically bring them down, but, you know, there's a place for that, a place for that. So it doesn't mean that we just roll over where I'm at for people to trample on. It doesn't mean that at all. What it does mean is we're into the shalom of God, reconciliation, restoration, bringing things back to the way that they should be, or at least as best as they can be, this side of eternity. Jesus Christ, our great peacemaker, Paul tells us in Ephesians, he breaks down the dividing walls of hostility between sinful humanity and a holy God, and therefore breaks down the walls of hostility, That existed between Gentiles and Jews, between whatever the division may be. He's in the business of true reconciliation, not some patched-up thing for a season, not some appearance that everything is fine, but lasting and genuine conversion, redemption, and restoration. I am for peace. And that may mean, as I say, challenging and calling out those who are for war. And that will be costly. And again, we only need to look at the Prince of Peace. And the crown of thorns on his head. And the whip marks on his back. And the holes in his hands and feet. The one who could declare victory, it is finished. As the Prince of Peace over the perpetrator of war. What does it mean for us as we go into this new year to follow that through, where we live, amongst who we are with, in our office, in our community? And yes, even in the church, although thank God by His Spirit, He does, I would have to give Him praise and glory, He does maintain a bond of peace amongst us, but never take that for granted. The devil just delights to cause discord amongst his people above everything else. A little psalm, but the psalm at the start of a journey to Jerusalem, easily passed on. We look to the hills and all the rest of it and say, we'll do that next Sunday. But a psalm perhaps very pertinent for you and for me as we stand in the age of this new year. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That's our desire as we stand at the beginning of this new year, in the light of Christmas, that in our lives, in your church, in this place, You would be glorified, and Lord, you are glorified when, Lord Jesus, you are seen and heard and expressed in our life and in our living. We think of those of us who have already gone back to work or are going back tomorrow, facing all the opportunities and, yes, the enjoyment and the stretching of our skills and talents, but, yes, also. Perhaps the challenges, the demands on time when we've got other things that rightly we have to attend to, the demands on our patience, the things that we hear or that we discern with your help that are going on behind the scenes, including, sadly, sometimes bullying and intimidation and people pushing agendas not for the benefit of the business or the classroom or the company or whatever, supremely for the benefit of others, but for the benefit of self. No, God our Father, we ask for wisdom, and we would ask believing, not doubting, to know how we might stand for you in such an environment, how we might speak for peace, which is not a rolling over and a giving in, just standing up and making a difference. So we ask for the help, the bravery and the support of you, Lord Jesus, so that we might bring you glory in those situations. For others of us, Lord, as we journey into you year and it lies before us and we're unsure of what it will bring with uncertainties, with things perhaps going on in our family concerns for loved ones. And so, Lord, it'd be easy for all of that to blank out who you are and what we sing about and what we say even here in church. We ask for your help and we ask for your forgiveness, not to allow that to happen, but to seek you, to delight in talking to you about what troubles us, knowing that you have overcome the world confident of the promise again drawn from your Word that you give us a peace that the world cannot give, a peace in the midst of the storm, a peace in the midst of the challenge and the crises, a peace that gives us hope, even perhaps when, humanly speaking, hope has gone. We thank you that those wise men journeyed and brought their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh to baby Jesus, gold for a king, frankincense for a great high priest, myrrh for one who would die but who would rise again. Fix our eyes on you, Lord Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, so that we might journey with you into this coming year for your glory. And in your name we pray. Amen.